Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. The very best of last week's rugby coaching webinars and podcasts, reviewed by host Phil Flewellyn and his special guests. and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. It's a pleasure to have you with us as we explore the world of sports coaching and rugby. I'm delighted to have the three coaches join me this week. So, gents, if you'd like to introduce yourselves, where you're from and your current role. Thanks, Phil. Uh, so, my name's Dan Milton. I'm a Senior Lecturer in Sports Coaching and Physical Education and, and Director of Rugby at Cardiff Met University. Yeah, um, my name's Darren Fern. I'm the... Director of Rugby at Newcastle University and uh, current England student head coach. Thanks for having me on, Phil. Uh, my name is Will Garnett, uh, based in the East Midlands, uh, and I'm the backs coach at the University of Nottingham. Awesome, gents. Really appreciate you coming on. Very excited to, uh, to see what you bring to the table. Just a quick reminder for those listening. Um, Check out the blurb for all the links to the content that the guys discuss. Um, and we're going to come to Danny first. So, Danny, what content were you looking at this week? Yeah, so uh, I recently had a uh, sort of um, some sort of coach learning where we were talking about a, a book called The Power of Moments, uh, which is by uh, Chip and Dan Heath. And uh, it was presented to us and it just really sort of struck a chord for me. Uh, I'm at the the end of sort of a 35-year PhD around sort of motivational climate and sports psychology. I was hoping it was going to take uh, a little bit less than 35 years, but uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. And um, a lot of the stuff we've been doing has been looking at empowering and disempowering behaviours and how you can try to create a motivational climate and the sorts of things you can do in your coaching environments to sort of really build that really positive motivation and get some really good outcomes on the players and the staff in your environment. And I've absolutely loved that. Um, but one of the hard things has been trying to come up with strategies to give to coaches, to give to teachers in their environments to, to, to actually use with these theoretical concepts and try to apply it in practice. And I think what I loved about the idea of this sort of power of moments is it's this idea of we have these real special memories that happen and we could probably all of us think of moments, special things that have happened to us across our career uh, across our coaching, across our experiences within rugby. Uh, and yet they're not something that we, when we're in charge of environments, actually plan for. Sometimes they just emerge. Um, the nice thing about this is actually sort of trying to take control of these moments and within your environments, trying to think about how you can create these meaningful moments that stand out, you know, how you can build these connections with your players, your staff, uh, the behaviors you want as a result of these moments the actual impact that these sort of moments can have within the environment. Uh, and you can really come back to what the purpose of those moments were. Uh, and the, the book sort of just a really um, interesting take on that. They use a lot of examples from business. They use a lot of examples from education. Um, and for me, I thought it was a really nice way to start to get this, uh, this idea that we don't just, uh, these things don't just happen. We can actually be in control and we can be a real sort of, um, powerful part of how we create them in our environments you know at Cardiff Met we're really lucky I've got loads of really good people who want to try and help and so uh, I was starting to sort of reflect on 
on how we at Cardiff Met might have done this with maybe not deliberately and then now start to think about perhaps now especially when you think of COVID-19 and the year we're going to have ahead of us you've got all these rugby students coming to us now for this rugby experience perhaps it's not going to like it look like it used to or look like we hoped it would so perhaps this could be one of the strategies we use to really try to improve the motivational climate by creating those sort of special moments for people. That's really interesting. How, how do you make that genuine? So from your experience, either, either reading the book or the stuff you've tried to implement so far, um, because I, I, is there a danger with those types of things that they feel a little bit forced? And, and I, my initial would just jump to that, that kind of balance between creating something that the group or the collective then embrace themselves, but without that becoming a little bit too manufactured? I think that's a great question, Phil. And one of the things that um, I think has come through, certainly my PhD, but also the, 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 the book, is if we, if we don't have this level of authenticity and we don't sort of look at it authentically, then, yeah, you are going to come across like it's manufactured, like it's created. So I think when you sit down to actually plan or start to think about these things, the authenticity of your message and why you're trying to do it become really important. So if my, um, if my ideas behind it are, you know, I want everybody to think uh, we're really good or the, the reason for doing it is perhaps exactly that, not authentic, well, I think it will lose its power. Um, whereas I think if, if you're sitting down here and we're going right, the message behind this is we want people to have the best rugby experience or we want to drive the academic standards at Cardiff Met because that's not something that's been um, at the forefront perhaps in years gone by. Uh, so how can we do things that create opportunities, uh, create moments that will be long lasting? I think it's the authenticity behind the message becomes really important. So would it effectively be construct the opportunity and, and the moment will almost take care of itself? Is, is that how you'd set it up? Yeah. So I, I was trying to think back, you know, had this happened before in the environment without us planning it, if that makes sense, or perhaps we planned it, but didn't realize the impact of it. Uh, and I was thinking back to um, pre-season, what we've always done on the first day of pre-season and Amber, our team manager is fantastic. She's got all these creative ideas. She brings so much uh, sort of to the environment. And um, she sort of helped plan this uh, arrival day where the third years and the second years uh, basically look after the first years. The traditional thing in universities is the first years get picked on, you know, don't they? You know, and we wanted to try and flip the mindset around that and really try to create a really welcoming environment so that actually their first day was something that was really special. So they come in and they're already pre-put into groups. Down the road from us is a, uh, a lake. They have to row around the lake. And across the lake, there's a little envelope with a load of tasks. And in those tasks, they had to uh, go to a charity shop and get somebody dressed up in charity shop gear. They had to meet another group to go and play a game of touch rugby. They had to make up a dance. They had to do those sorts of things. And while it was created, um, the fact that that as soon as they arrived the first thing that those first years had was being welcomed into the environment by our second and third years actually created a long-lasting memory and again I felt there was authenticity behind the message that meant it became really really good so my interest the thing for me is interesting is can we create that again and if we can what does it look like does it have to be the same does it have to be different 
but to still get those same outcomes without it feeling exactly like you said, that it's sort of constructed and you lose that, that meaningfulness. So in effect, in, yeah, so I, I guess in terms of when we talk about constructing that, that, that is almost a scaffolding piece, isn't it? So it's, it's a framework. You're not, I think the clarity in my head there from what you've explained is we're creating the opportunity for social connection or for something to emerge, but we're not, we're not kind of forcing a message because I've definitely seen that done where it's, you're almost planning for an outcome. Whereas I guess if, if you set something up, what you're hoping for is well that every single one of those you know first years that turned up will have a different experience within their own little groups, and, and that's something we're not in control of. But you would hope that then becomes just their experience having emerged from what was constructed. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Nice. I, I think the point that you make there, Phil, is a really interesting. One is you know like you always see in uh, rugby environments at the moment. Um, <laughs> you know, culture, uh, values, behaviours, and that, that's like the buzzword and everybody loves that. We've all got to have a really good culture. We've all got to have this. The, everybody's got to do, you know, subscribe to our values and we'll become that best. And then, you know, that, that's really contextual because everybody's coming with a different set of values. And what, if I put three things up that they've all got to do and if they don't do it, then they're out. Um, you know, it's a really interesting one for me. And so, again, I think it's, it's sort of it's trying to get to that sort of shared understanding, that common understanding, and actually get people to want to contribute into the environment, again, rather than anything that becomes forced or labelled on people. Yeah, no, 100%. That's massive, I think. Will, Daz, any questions from you guys? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a fascinating topic. Um, couple of, yeah, a couple of quick thoughts. Firstly, kind of where does it... Thinking of obviously of your role and all, all the things you need to plan for and, and elements you have to plan for on a long time scale and also a short time scale, where do these kind of things fit into your planning for kind of your weekly delivery as well as your sort of long term sort of scale? Yeah, you got me there. Well, I think we're we're only just sort of starting. <laughs> we're only just starting to sort of think about it, and I think whereas just because of the nature of the work I've been doing around motivational sports psychology and that started in schools and having transferred that into the rugby environment, um, this was just something that we came across and went, do you know what, we really like the sound of this. Um, and I think it's probably started in a long-term approach, as in, right, especially now, over the course of the year, what are the things that we can actually do? What are the things that we can have that, that will create some really meaningful messages, have that... Um, you know, again, coming back to what we would like the environment to look like, what are the sorts of things that we can do to try to get people on board, share those connections, get those sort of meaningful messages. But I think it will start to come down to um, your micro planning as well, because mm -hmm. I think if you want that level of authenticity that Phil was talking about, then I think it has to start to, to filter in to become something, not just that one-off moment that becomes uh you know again created perhaps it's about how you can create these things cyclically they actually emerge naturally within the environment and they become something that's really really important but rather than it being something that is linear and you've sort of dressed up and put with bells and whistles it's something that actually just starts to come more regularly within what you're doing and those moments might be regular moments that are touching points that we use to help build that environment 
Do you think yeah. we miss a trick there with, I appreciate this season will be pretty different in terms of when the games actually take place and everything else, but do we maybe miss a trick by not utilising a match? In, in my head, it tends to be it, you turn up, you do your pre-game touch, someone does a big speech, you go out and play, you all stand in the huddle and then you talk about it and you go away and you might have some beers or you might not or whatever. But are we missing? Because that every single week there's a huge moment in that game. And and talk about the, you know, the micro-planning. Are we, are we not maximising the opportunity within that? And like, I'm just trying to think of actually getting rather than just let's talk about a performance review. Should we be looking at things around, you know, right, uh, Dan, what was your highlight of that match? Tell me, tell me something you were really impressed with that someone else did on the field and just sharing, sharing some of those feelings and making it a little bit more kind of sociable is the wrong word, but do you know, a little bit more connected and a little bit more, I guess, less goal focused or less outcome orientated. Well, I think if what's interesting is we're all university environments so I sometimes think we lose the, uh, actually, what a rugby club's about. Um, and so for me, it's trying to create things that were really good, you know, maybe 30 pints after a game, perhaps not what we want to bring into the, you know, England students, the, the Buck Super, all those sorts of things. But certainly those sort of social connections after the game, the things that we're doing, you know, we, we play National League teams on a Saturday. And the one thing that we've noticed over the last sort of few years is we're not really a, a rugby club. So we've tried to create things after games or before games that allow us to do it. So now we have a match day sponsor on a Saturday and the match day sponsor describes who the man of the match is, why they've given that man of the match. Uh, and, uh, and it's not so much the take a photo of it, stick it on Twitter. It's actually the meaningful part of really valuing the sponsor for what they're doing and giving them an opportunity to describe what they've seen to the players to, um, to sort of generate that sort of connection. And I think for us, it is, you know, we're really fortunate in that university field where I'm not saying winning, winning and losing is important for all of us, but we're actually not probably judged by our win-loss ratio like a professional environment is. We're actually, we can actually really try to drive our judgment by how we're perceived, that the players that leave us, the, the grades they get, the things that, that that wider piece, I think is a really exciting part of what the three of us are involved in, four of us have been involved in. Um, so I think it's about trying to do those sorts of things and do them really, really well. And I think that gives us a real point of difference. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. Daz, how would that look for you within an English student's environment? So I'm thinking it's unique in itself. And, and does it offer, because of that uniqueness, maybe a bigger opportunity for some of those moments to, to just be, I'm thinking kind of shirt presentation, like first cap, all that type of stuff. That, that's not the, the norm. It's not the run of the mill. So do you think an environment like that just maybe has naturally more moments? Yeah, for the reasons you've just said, definitely. I, uh, what I would say, though, from taking from what Danny's just said there, it's being more aware of it would would be a, a good thing because, again, without losing the authenticity of it, planning stuff around that and maybe speaking to people who have been there in the past and and actually being aware of how them people have felt and how that does it for a, for a full programme with the students getting their shirts. So this year it was Phil de Glanville 
they'll look back at that in a long time and probably they won't appreciate maybe at the time some of them how important that was or how Eddie Jones I think did it two years ago I think it was two years ago I had to put that a massive deal now some of the lads who have graduated are probably looking at that thinking well, what a moment that was so yeah so planning them moments is huge it in an England students environment we probably played on that a bit more this year uh, last season going into France we without it, it, it's a massive thing and from someone who was, was in the university game as a player as well as a coach I, I could appreciate that and I could reflect on that as a personal point of view so it's making sure the moments were there and it had it had that impact so you represent in England here you represent England students what's that your parents your family who have who are going to come and watch because the crowd was full of parents. It was full of people that have, those coaches there who have been there since day dot with some of these players. It's a big moment. And I think we got more out of the lads because of that, because it was a big moment for the families. It was a big moment for the clubs. It was a big moment for the universities to a degree where we had the lads before the game had a team photo with their university strips on. That was suggested by the management and the coaching team. And that was it. To me, that was a really good suggestion because it's more than just turning out on a Friday night or a Sunday afternoon for England students. You're actually you're representing much more than that. Now that sounds a bit cliche, but it's 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 a reality. Um, so going back to that, yes, it's massive. It's a big part with England students. It's probably easier to do, but you can't take away what it actually has for it because it's massive. Um, on that, Dan, just as well, I was going to ask a question with regards the programme so you, just going back to the example would you share so the, the opportunities you may be looking for would that be shared with you see, I know you've got some good people in the programme but some of the players so some of your leadership lads so your captains or whatnot it'd be a kit so let's use that boat example at the start when they're going around and you're making the, fir the first year lads feel welcome are you saying to the second and third years lads this is the opportunity which we're trying to have here uh, absolutely, because uh, I want. So the message was: we bring our second and third years in a few days before the first years to do a bit of work on what we want the environment to look like, what we want them. You know, remember how they felt when they were coming in as first years, and they were, you know, they're nervous, they're they're worried, they're coming away, and it was like, well, how did you? Feel? How would you have wanted people to feel? And it comes back to one of the examples in the book. They were saying, you know, when you start a job. Um, and your first day, you go in, and they were talking about in a business environment, and you, you sit at a desk, you know, there's a desk there, there's a pen on top of the desk for you, you sit there, and nothing, you, then you have to watch two hours of safety videos, and then you've got to fill out these forms, and you, you come out your first day in work, and you're like, what was that all about? Um, whereas, you know, they were saying, well, why can't, you know, they were using an example, I know, of probably somebody like Google or Apple or whoever it is, and they're saying that, you know, actually their first day they walk in and there's an iPad on a desk for them. Then the uh, person comes to them and takes them um, uh, to a little sit down coffee with four or five of the other staff who make them feel welcome, who give them an idea of what the place. And so and they all pop out for lunch because, you know, it's your first day in work. They want you to have that. And perhaps we can't give them an iPad. Perhaps we can't. Um, but, but what can we do to make that first touching point? And so, again, the point you made, Daz, I thought two real good points was, one, speaking to the England students who've been there before to actually find out what makes it special for them. I think that's a brilliant idea. You know, going and getting other people's opinions and then similarly using the people in your environment to say, look, 
guys as senior players as second and third years how do you want those people to feel when they come in and then actually give them they actually came up with six or seven of the tasks to do um because again there was no budget for any of this so it was whatever tasks you can think of which will be a bit of fun that we can do for free um and involve them in the process i wouldn't do it all the time but i think it's really important to do it yeah i think i think that's um a really good point and it kind of made me think uh, along the lines of kind of how do we how do how do we quantify it or how do we kind of give it the value because i was i was thinking just going off what you're saying there each student's probably going to have a different perspective of what this moment might be and, and what might work for them. Mm. So that's the challenge in itself, isn't it? So if, if we try and promote a moment that isn't actually going to be applicable for that student, we kind of could potentially get a little bit lost in it. So, and also what does the student see as the moment that is beneficial for them? Uh, it might be completely different to what we're prioritizing or what we're thinking. Uh, I suppose it comes back to that kind of connection you mentioned early on, connecting as much as we can with the students. Um, but difficult, <laughs> challenging to say the least, isn't it? I, I think so. Yeah, I think it's a really good point again, Will, in terms of uh, everybody perceives things differently. Everything, uh, uh, you, like we've talked about already, everything's contextual. Um, and again, it comes, it's what do we want to get out of this? So for us, uh, is it, you know, team bonding? Is it behaviours we want to see? Is it we just want people to have fun? And I think, again, that's a really important message for us is students are coming to us, they're nervous, we've seen a huge increase in mental health issues. What we want to do is just create a really welcoming, enjoyable atmosphere, because I know if we've got a welcoming, enjoyable atmosphere and, and people feel they can talk to each other, perhaps some of those problems that emerge are less likely to. And fundamentally, the people in your rugby programme have a great time over their two or three years with you. Now, will that work for everybody, Will? Absolutely not. But it, it, you know, it's trying to trying to meet meet as much of it as you can. Completely agree. I, I love the potential it has to by putting it on the second and third years and, and the guys in those later years just and saying how would you want to have felt? I think it's got real potential to break the back of that. And and every environment is different, as you've said, but that that kind of hierarchy that a university traditionally has, and as you say, it's it's some are obviously you know well documented as being a lot worse than others but i think by putting that emotive bit on what would your best first day have been now we're going to try and create it for these guys i think that's huge yeah absolutely massive cool um daz we're going to come to you moving it on uh what were you looking at yeah it it fits quite nicely actually following on from danny says um it was a high performance podcast i've listened to a few of them over this uh this period and it's, it's been really good, actually. There's been so much out there, as I'm sure we're all aware of, uh, generally. But this one was, it's speaking about people who have evidently been pretty successful um, across a variation of sports and actually taking, taking what their experience has been. Um, so it was with Sean Wayne. Now, Sean Wayne was, he's, if you don't know a lot about rugby league, he's probably not well known uh, to you. But he was Wigan coach for seven years. He was he was successful. I, I I love watching rugby league. I always have done. He's 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 a good. He's a very very good coach. He was a decent player. He was a very very good coach. He's just got the England job um, with regards to England rugby league. Now he was you, you, you almost like everything. It's, it's generally a northern sport, so it's, it's um, 
it's full of full of northerners, but he's uh, he, he sort of there was there was an identity to what they did, and then going back to Danny's point before about culture and that is a buzz, and I think the issue with that people don't fully like what does that look like? So it's your environment, your club, it's your organisation. Now Sean Wayne has some points that from listening to uh, sort of Eddie Jones over this period, reading Alex Ferguson's book in the past, watching documentaries, Jurgen Klopp's obviously is very prominent at the moment. They've all they all resort back and they the way they do things are all very similar, but obviously it looks very different for each of them organisations and clubs. So what I did was I just it's it's an hour podcast, so I went into and sort of took some headlines from it, um, which I thought would be good for us to speak about. So there's got to be a plan. So again, all these coaches I've mentioned, they've got a plan. Now the plan isn't just, right, we're going to win the league or we're going to win the cup. It's it's broken into so many different areas, but the detail within them areas is massive. So he talks about the way they do things, which everybody does again, but it's relevant to what they've got. So they recruit people that fit to the way they do things. And it's not just a case of, Oh, he's a good player, so we'll get him in. It's, he's a good player, he's a good bloke, he fits with this, he'll fit into our environment. That's massive for them. And he talks about the, the relentlessness of what they do. So again, pre-season, everybody's pretty happy, it's generally sunny, people are chomping at the bit to get going. Are they still doing the same things in December, January, February than they're doing at the start of the year? Are, are they sticking to their plan as such? And as a leader, as a coach, whatever you want to say it, are they overseeing that? So he talks about having the detail within that and then holding people accountable. Um, so the, what I took from this, he talks about, is being very clear in what you expect. But obviously, it can't be a dictatorship because what a lot of people do, and again, I'm sure we've seen it within rugby, within business, within general life to a certain degree, is people wait for something to go wrong and then they jump on someone. So they'll go, that's not the way you do it, you shouldn't have done it like that, what are you doing there? But actually, relating it back to rugby, nobody said, this is how it could be done. This is how, it, how it, they're very much outcome-based until they don't get the outcome they want, then they suddenly become process-based. Now, again, we all know it's, it's not as simple as, right, this is the way you do this, and that's the only way it can be done. There's different scenarios that can be done. There's obviously so many ways to do it. And as coaches, are we putting them people in them scenarios? Maybe the scenario needs to be in a game and they're gonna, the outcome isn't what you expect, first of all. But what do we do from that? And that, was, that really stuck to us, listening to him talk about that. And he talks about, again, with the accountability as a coach, leader, the empathy. And going back to that authenticity, what we've just mentioned, a lot of people do things because they think it's the right thing to do. Now, I've experienced that as a player. I'm very conscious of it as a coach. Um, and it's it, it could be something that we all probably need to be careful about after coming out of this period because we've probably taken a lot of information in but how can we relate it to what we're doing and not just do it because we think it's the right thing to do because let's be honest people are daft generally and they'll pick on it straight away so me listening to Danny say describe Cardiff Met am I just going to say right that's I really like Danny's idea. I'm going to do exactly the same thing in my environment. Well, I like that, the idea, but I've got to shape it to my environment. Um, and I think that that's really important. And that's what Sean Wayne talks about. He's He talks about really knowing his players, but not just saying, right, well, I know his, I know his name. I know his mum's name. I know his date of birth. So 
where I really know about my player. It's about him as a person. It's about the staff being aware of things. So if a player's had a not trained particularly well, he's not had a particularly good game, and he's usually flying. Is, is there more than meets that? Is there something going on? So he talks about ringing players on the way back from training at eight, half eight at night, having a chat, and then the players opened up to him and he's gone and met him at nine o'clock on his way home for a coffee and talked about something that's totally away from rugby. And to me, I think that's just, it's so powerful and, and it can't be played and it can't, it's got to be genuine because it shows genuinely like, you, you do, you, care, again, care's a buzzword, but what does care look like? It shows you're actually fully invested in what you're trying to do and you're invested in the players. It's not just the result, oh, he's our best player, so I'm going to take some, some invested interest in him. It's, is it an academy kid? Is it someone who's on the fringe? Like you've got to be, you've got to be genuine with what you're doing through the whole squad. And he uses some really good examples. Um, again, on that with the with having them uh, accountability and actually having a plan. It's things like off the field, and I think this is massive in a university. Again, we've covered some things, but he talks about some of them them young lads who come in. So in rugby league, a lot of the young lads play first team early doors. So he's on about this lad called George Williams, who is a quality rugby league player, plays over in Australia now, but he was he came through Wigan and he plays for England. I think he's played for Great Britain. And he's on about him being at a hotel. And he goes and he's very polite to the, the people behind the counter. So he's saying he's please and thank yous. And he said to George later in that day, oh, like, really good manners there, mate. Like, and he's such a little thing. But I've seen it with my first, with my own eyes. I'm sure we all have. When I'm looking at the way people act and behave off the field, and I'm thinking like, nah, like you've got to do better there, mate. And it's it's them little things that actually, if you're getting the training right and you're getting the coaching right and you're getting the things right on the field, them things do they really help the person, and especially in a university environment, if you're taking an invested interest with them in more than just make sure you do well for me on a Wednesday afternoon or a Friday night make sure you do that right for me and then I'll be if it's going well I'll, I'll, I'll be all over you I'll be texting you, you, you do you know what I mean I'll be seeing how you are I'll be caring for you but it's not going well or you're not playing in the first team I'm not particularly bothered that, that's not to me that's not a good way and he speaks a lot about this um, and then just to wrap it up as a person he, he, he speaks about like making sure I don't agree with this the way he said this, to be honest with you, but I, I know what he's saying. He says about never being happy. I'm thinking, like, that's pretty raw. Like, it's pretty tough saying you're never going to be happy. Like, but what he's saying is, always be ambitious, don't get caught, don't don't stand still, which, again, I, I fully believe in. And in, in something, again, that you listen to Ferguson, listen to Eddie Jones, listen to Klopp, they've moved with the times, they're aware, they've made some massive calls, like getting people out. Like big players, you can think again, Ferguson, you've got Beckham, you've got people in the England squad who Eddie Jones was taking so much flack a couple of years ago, I remember, for not picking certain people. But again, it, it all it's all connected. They've got a plan. They need the right people for that plan. People's actions and behaviours need to fit in with that plan. The way they do things is key. The coaches are accountable as much as the players. If someone's not pulling the way or doing the right things and doing what they've all agreed on, someone's going to pull someone up in it. If someone's going off the off the beaten track or doing things a little bit differently, why they're doing things a bit differently, it's not just a knee-jerk, get yourself out of here. With, you're not doing things our way. So, again, that's a pretty... There's so much more we could go into, but 
in any environment, I know it's called the High Performance Podcast, but I genuinely believe in any environment, if you've got a plan, if you've got a way to do things, you're not fully rigid in that. But again, you stick true to what you've said as a group. You're probably somewhere to get being successful. And again, as a, as a coach, there's a lot of this stuff where I, I can reflect and think, I got that wrong at times. Um, and I would do that differently another time. But again, that's all part of learning, isn't it? Daz, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I loved some of the messages again in that, and uh, I think there's, there's a load of takeaways. Um, a couple of things jumped out. We, we, in a university environment, I think that's, you know, I know that's relevant for all of us. Um, you don't necessarily get to recruit your players like a Jurgen Klopp does. So, um, how does that impact because you can't necessarily recruit the type of person that you want and you've started to talk about it what have been some of the things that you've done then to try to get people without having this sort of buzzword of culture um how have you tried to get people's behaviors to change what are what are the sorts of strategies that you've used in order to get people to, to try to be like you want them to be in your environment and then sort of secondly uh, this idea, and, and I've found it so much harder. When I had Chris Davies, director of rugby, I could always be the person who put the arm around the shoulder and have some of those conversations. Um, now Chris has gone, uh, all of a sudden people perceive me differently, and I've gone from, you know, I've now got 250 players. How do you have the time for those personal conversations? Because what I've noticed is if I have them with this person, this person gets, uh, uh, well, why is he not speaking to me? And then this person, and all of a sudden now, I got 250 phone calls to have in a night. My wife's going mad. And so I'm just interested, how do we, how do we manage those sorts of things as well? What sort of things have you come across? Have you come across anything similar? Um, just, just some of your reflections on that. So to, to answer the first question, uh, Danny, with the strategies and stuff, it, it's because of obviously the changeover with being a year in the job at Newcastle now, it's something that's been... It's been vitally important. Um, so what, what at the start of it all was it was it was seeing what generally what we were trying to achieve, which was quite an obvious one, um, but not just what we wanted to achieve as a team. It's like right, what as a group of players, what, what do you actually want to do? Like because there was a, a lot of them. There was a lot of talented players. Now there was quite a how do you word it? There was a it wasn't cool. To, it was almost not cool to have aspirations, so it wasn't cool to say, oh, I want to go and try and get a professional rugby contract. It was it was easy to say, like, oh, we're not going to get one. We can't do it. So it was a case of, right, what's going to be our drive? What's going to be our driving factor as, as a team and players? And how can myself as a director of rugby and a group of coaches make that be something that drives you forward? Um, and then we had to set some examples early doors. Uh, some of them were planned, if I'm honest with you. Like, because it's inevitable that there's certain situations that are going to happen. I, as a club, had to make sure, as a DOI, had to make sure coaches as a whole. So, as you have, Danny, you've got a load of teams. We've got five. I don't think that's as many as you have within the within the actual club. And then we've got into mural. But through that, you can't oversee five teams. So, it's having the, making sure the coaches are, are fully aware of what we're trying to do and making sure they're they're feeding the right messages to the players that we're there talking and we're all on the same page and there's nobody on a different path. Now, 
I'll be honest with you, Dan, we're not, we're not where we need to be. So that strategy is still working. Um, it's been an obvious bump in the road, but we're going we're gonna to get back on it when we, can, when we can. But there's a lot of stuff in this lockdown period that strategies and stuff that I'm, I'm going to take into next year. Recruitment-wise, we, we, can't, we can't go out and get everybody that we want. But for me, the, it was the same in my previous role. There were certain people who we desperately needed, so I would go hard. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were the best players, but it, as people, their aspirations and have enough people with them aspirations. So instead of having two players that wanted to progress, we've maybe got eight or nine who want to be successful. It doesn't mean they want to be pro rugby players, but they want to be successful in what they do. Um, obviously, I went a long way about that, but that's that sort of covers both both questions. I think. Thanks, Daz. Yeah, I've got a, got a question there, Daz. Um, well, for both of you, actually. Um, as Because obviously I'm an assistant uh, and you guys are sitting more sort of at the top of the tree. How do you go about um, kind of empowering those coaches? Because you mentioned there about kind of the collective me- message and all being on the sort of the same wavelength. But ultimately, if you think of the people you listed, they're all, um, all got completely different characteristics, haven't they? And they're all quite authentic within their own characteristics. So how do you get that kind of buy-in as a coaching staff to all kind of want to work towards the same target? But then also, uh, how do you kind of empower them to, to kind of work towards what you're hopefully trying to achieve as a collective? Uh, just be interesting from my perspective to hear that. So from our side, it's, it's again making sure at the start, and I, I'm going to do it better this year, is making sure we're full of what, what as a club. So each club is obviously, each team, sorry, is in a league. So that we've, we've all got on-field goals that we want to do making sure that we're fully aware that the first team as a group of players probably have as a whole they, they, they do different outcomes they want from rugby than the fifth team um, so it's making sure them coaches are aware of that I'm aware of that as a director of rugby um, but making sure each team doesn't hinder so we have, we've had a lot of conversations last year about I don't know Joe Bloggs wants to he's here because he wants to get a first class degree and get a professional contract at the Newcastle Falcon he's, he's in the Associate Academy then we've got somebody who just loves playing rugby. He's got no aspirations to be a professional rugby player. He wants to come and get a first-class degree and play rugby because it's, he loves rugby and he wants to do the social element. Making sure that them to have a good experience. Now, again, it's not as plain sailing as we've had the discussion, so it's going to happen. It's, it's actually, maybe we could plan it like Danny spoke about at the start, but it's making sure there's moments within the year where you're going to have to make that pretty obvious or you're going to have to call people out, not in a bad way, but just say, listen, the way you're doing that there is hindering him. The way you're doing that there is hindering him. And it's making sure them coaches as well are confident to have that discussion. And it doesn't have to be the same as I would do it, the same as every other coach. But I think if we let that roll and there's things that we've discussed and we just let it go on, that, that's not going to work. And as a director of rugby, I, I've got I've, the, the book stops with me there, I think. Yeah, uh, from my perspective, Will, we, I think... Um, we, We've got a lot of volunteers in the organisation, and so a lot of our coaches are volunteers. We can't offer them, um, uh, you know, we can offer them a bit of kit. Everyone loves stash. Uh, so then it's it's what are the what are the other what are the other things that they want out of it? So for me, it's about they want the social opportunity. They want to feel like they're part of something. So it's trying to make them feel really valued, but also offering them CPD opportunities. Uh, Ian, our head coach, is doing his. Um, his research is around coach mentoring. So one of the strategies we tried because we got 
10, 11 sides, six on a Wednesday, you know, trying to get them all to play the same way is really, really tough. Uh, but one of the criticisms always faced with us as a group is, well, you know, when you move from this environment to that environment, it's different. There's different uh, shapes, there's different starters, there's different this. So we've been trying to bring a lot more alignment to it and involve everybody in it. So even over lockdown, we, we decided to watch. Um, so we picked a Super Rugby weekend, attached a, an element of our game plan to it, put up our slides about how we coach, what we want it to look like. And then the coaching group went away and um, say so it was a tack shape. The coaches pulled out some clips, put them on the, the Zoom and we had a chat around them to try to get that alignment in our coaching so that everybody was doing the same thing. Because I suppose within the environment, all the coaches want to develop, they want to get better, and they want to have um, that opportunity to feel like they're really part of something. So quite often then on a Wednesday night after our BSR game, all the coaches will go for a pint and a curry after the Bucks Super Rugby game, and we'll chat about selection, who played well in the fifths, who played well in the, the fourths. So hopefully it's creating that message that whichever team you're coaching or whichever team you're with that day, we want to know who's been playing well, who should be moving, where they should be moving. And if the coaches feel like that, that message will get filtered to the players that the players know we're actually talking about not just the, the Buck Super Rugby group, we're talking about the wider group. So I think those sorts of thing, things we, we try to do can help. Yeah, completely agree. Um, the only thing I, I'd sort of chuck in there maybe to, to challenge would be... Um, kind of using those individual characteristics as well um, as a sort of a balancing mechanism within the team you're working with as in a team of coaching staff. So it, that's what we've all got lucky. We all work with multiple teams, don't we? So we have different characteristics, different coaches who will go about things in, in very different ways. And I sometimes think if, if the sort of people at the top can kind of use those strengths and those assets a little bit more rather than trying to kind of Conjole everyone into one sort of singular direction at all times. I do think that's important, but I think we've got to also be able to kind of let those characteristics be free, which links back to kind of the authenticity, doesn't it? It allows us to do what works for us uh, and not kind of be forced or pigeonholed into a certain certain way of delivering. But yeah, it's a complex. Uh, it must be complex for you guys, <laughs> that's for sure. I think Darren hit the nail on the head. We we get these things right. We get these things wrong. Um, I certainly know. Again being you know a few years into it when I first started I would have always wanted to try to have control over everything because I'm like I want it done to this standard to I want it done my way um, and it, I think hopefully it comes with experience and you get more good people around you you feel more confident you feel more comfortable and actually understand the importance of why it's really really important to share those responsibilities and actually bring in that new knowledge world from other people, which will actually help develop your environment. But, you know, it's hard. You know, everybody knows what you're meant to do. Actually doing it can actually be quite hard. Yeah, I, I would, well, on that point that Danny said, I'm exactly the same. And it's something I'm very conscious of. It's, it's that ability to delegate. And the reality is a lot of the coaches, you, you trust them, you fully trust them. It's not that you don't trust them. It's just a case of you care so much and you want it to be a success. That you sometimes again you do things and you're thinking like the amount of reflecting that I've done over this period about the last few years and whatnot. It's like whoa, like I'm, I'm in my head. I'm thinking I'm coming out of this. I'm absolutely flying, <laughs> but I'm sure when we get back into it and things don't go as we particularly planned, there'll be uh, 
there'll be a bit of reflecting going on. But yeah, it, it's I'm with Danny on that one. It, it comes from a place of caring, but yeah, uh, it's we've got I've, I've, we've got to be better at it. I definitely think there's an element of around emotional intelligence and, and maybe those softer skills, as you say, Will, but you want to be able to maximise what someone's strengths is, but actually are you fully aware of those? And do we, so best example I've got currently, so um, starting with Oxford Uni Women in September, but we're using this period for planning and as, as I guess everyone else is, and actually just forming that new relationship with a coach. So we we literally just came up with some insight questions wrote some reflections on those and, and shared them and then sat down and actually just discussed what those answers were. And some of those questions just around, you know, how can I best support you in being you? And that sounds a little bit pink and fluffy, but actually I will have a perception of that coach and that individual, which may be very different to how they perceive themselves. So it is by having that and just teeing up that conversation so to our mind it just moves us further down that track certainly in a new relationship i think that's really really key that it's i'm not just judging everything off potentially a misconception and, and actually getting off on the wrong foot and, and recognizing then what those strengths are how we're different how we're similar and just trying to speed up that process so i, I definitely think there's an element of in any environment once we've, we've got through that initial stage i guess how much time do we then spend doing that we, we might do it informally as Danny said like, you know going with all the coaches for a curry and a pint you, you'll probably get some really honest conversations but do they then become process and outcome focused around the environment and the people rather than the relationship you have with each other and, and I think from all of my experience I think we could definitely spend more time as coaches getting to know the people we work with better because and, and it's we've done it in this we we've talked about oh we need to know the players and everything else but actually I would say that's got to apply in exactly the same way if not maybe even more so to to the staff we work with and the other coaches and that's not saying that you know we we don't invest in that but I do think we we can end up looking at the players and and the the group that way maybe more so than than ourselves and we kind of just presume it's there and that it works so yeah as, as a guy said it's it's very challenging for sure cool we are going to shift it on so will we'll uh, come to you and uh, what was your engagement this week um so following on from um probably one of the most talked about um sports series of kind of recent times called the last dance um i went and purchased a book called uh, phil jackson's 11 rings uh, for those of you who don't know, he was uh, a coach of the Bulls and the Lakers uh, and is arguably the sort of the greatest NBA coach of all time. Um, ultimately, I was kind of intrigued, as him, uh, intrigued by him as a character uh, and as well as a coach throughout the series. And I hope the book would kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of his sort of driving factors. Uh, and it, it, it did just that. Um, it went on to some sort of seriously interesting topics, personally. Um, not sort of limited to, but including kind of mindful leadership where he breaks down what he refers to as kind of the Jackson 11, which is effectively his key principles and, and his philosophy. Uh, some of those being kind of bench the ego, uh, discover, uh, let the players discover their own destiny. One I really like is uh, the road to freedom is a beautiful system. So all these kind of factors that kind of uh, promote or, or support his coaching and his delivery. Um, he also talked about his kind of broader life experiences um, and how those impacted uh, him, impacted his coaching. Um, also went into some quite deep topics um, such as religion, 
uh, tribal leadership, Zen Buddhism, um, spirituality, uh, and just kind of a quick anecdote whilst we're, we're whilst we're on this sort of section. Um, when he, he listed three things um, or three aspects of, of sort of Zen that he was or he sort of said were influential within his coaching. Uh, number one was giving up control. Um, number two was trusting in the moment, and number three was sort of living with compassion. Um, and I think all of those kind of three things link quite nicely to what we were sort of already discussing as a group, uh, and something we could all probably do a little bit more more of. Uh, but the, the element I'd kind of like to dig a little bit deeper into today, and hopefully it will link quite nicely with what we've discussed, is uh, something he describes as the five stages of tribal leadership. Um, bear with me on this one. Sounds a little bit strange, but uh, I'm going to obviously have to read these off. Uh, stage one is life sucks, which is a sort of a state of general uh, despair and hostility. Um, stage two is my life sucks. Um, people see themselves as the victims, so quite an individual mindset. Stage three is I'm great and you're not, which is all about individual achievement. So winning is personal. Uh, I'm sure we can uh, or we've seen teams or we've even been part of teams where it's, it looks a little bit like that. Stage four is we're great uh, and they are not. So you need a strong foe, need someone to fight against. And stage five is a fantastic stage, which is life's great, which is just a sense of innocent wonder and kind of belief. Um, and trying to bring it sort of full circle back to rugby, um, he effectively uses these to measure and check for sort of growth and development of his culture. Um, and I know I've said, I think that's probably the seventh or eighth time we've said the, the culture word, and it is the most used word of lockdown. But I think now we're getting to the stage where we can kind of get back on the park uh, and get back on the pitch. It was kind of an interesting time to bring it back up. So just going to throw kind of an open question out there. Does our, um, does our sort of description of culture um, or even our delivery of what we call the, the term culture uh, need to potentially change. Do we need to kind of step away from the list of values that we mentioned before, the, the sort of responsibilities, the mission statements, the standards of performance, and see culture more so as, or, or find a way to measure culture firstly, and then we apply those standards or rules or regulations throughout so that we can move in kind of a linear scale from one step to the next. Um, I'd just be interested to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Um, I, so I've been chatting to this guy in uh, America, Mike McDougall, who's done some research on organisational culture. Um, and he's a really interesting bloke. He, he's, I'll, I'll give Phil the link to his, art, his most recent article. It's, um, it's all about how culture is messy. And I suppose what I've been sort of deliberating with, and it sort of resonates with what you're saying is, we went down the, the line of, you know, the Barcelona way, the Damien Hughes, we have three behaviours, uh, teamwork, humility, uh, you know, and really focusing on, um, uh, on trying to have those sorts of values, um, and not values, sorry, behaviours, and, and getting people to think about those. But it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I've decided that we wanted to make academics important. I've decided that we want to make sure, like Daz said, that uh, you know, you, you, they, people clean up after themselves. You know, we and we, I should say, have decided. And all of a sudden, it's like these behaviours that we're presenting to the players and assuming that everybody wants to do those sorts of things. And perhaps 
then all, all in that headspace to be able to do it. So where does your first-year player, who's a really talented player but doesn't meet my behaviours, my standards or our standards as a group, and then what do we do? Do we just kick them out? Do we allow them to learn? Do we, do we allow them? Where does that fit into it? His beliefs might not be ready to match our beliefs. I suppose I'm just really interested in, in how we grow that and be more comfortable with the messiness of culture rather than having this, like you say, this values, this mission statement that we almost put upon the players and then expect them to meet all the time. So I haven't really answered your question, Will, but it's something that's really interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a sort of a, a great quote um, near near the end of this section, um, which is exactly what you said, Ben. Uh, he kind of says it isn't a mechanistic process. Um, he's kind of fundamental, as he says. You need to know the game first and foremost, but then you've got to have an open heart, a clear mind, and a deep curiosity about humans. If that doesn't sum up that it is based around humans and it is messy and it's complex, he also goes on to sort of suggest that even with his Except sort of huge amount of experience, more than probably all of us combined, he doesn't know, uh, and he accepts that. And I think that's part of it that it, it you've got to be able to kind of accept that it it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be different, and it's not going to be kind of a one size fits all, is it? That we can all apply and all hopefully get an answer from. Hence, why I suggest: do we need to have kind of a way of measuring where we are now and potentially where we move to, not just a sort of an outcome? Uh, of a set of values that that's what we've got to kind of adhere to. Just for me, Will, on that, I think you're right. It, it can't be so rigid that um, you constantly, it, it, it's because it is so messy, it can't be so rigid. But I think at the same time, you've got to have something that sort of pulls it slightly together. And I think the key is so, again, as a director of rugby or as a leader within an organisation, it's it's that. It's that empathy, the, the, having actual people skills is, is the key bit because you're constant. It can't be a case of, right, this is going to happen in this situation. If we talk about on the field, like so many different scenarios, well, there's so many different scenarios in general, like, especially at university, because there's so many external factors, there's so many stakeholders, as, as there's going to be so many things going on. So as, you've got to be fully aware of that. You've got to have that empathy with it. And again, it isn't a case of one shoe fits all. Um, but I, I always think about this, and I, I, I'm exactly the same again when I when I played. I, I think that if you've got two coaches and you've got one who is 90% of him or her is super talented coach, they know so much detail of the game, they know rugby inside out, or they're they're what they're good at inside out, and then you've got another coach who is really good people person, shows really good empathy, gets along with people, can pick up cues, can read people well. And you ask the players, who's a better coach? It wouldn't necessarily be the person that knows the game 90%. It's generally, it's the people, it's the, it's the coach, it's a people person. And they've had a good experience and they've looked after them, they've cared for them. I, I generally believe that would be the case. And I think it's because they're, they're open to reading people and they've got a lot of empathy. Yeah, I think as you said, well, it's culture is what you live, and I think maybe the way it's been approached previously in that, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll do that hour and a half meeting where we'll sit down and we'll all discuss it, and then we'll come out with some. It's got to be something. I think you quite literally live at every single engagement, every single session. 
you know, if that's a one-on-one -on -one phone call and someone is talking about or exhibiting poor behavior set against what you think that culture is, then you've got to challenge it. If, if that's about supporting that on a match day and, and kind of reinforcing those little micro moments almost and, and doing that type of stuff. And, and then I think you expand that and go, okay, well, what is, where does that come from? That's about leadership. That's about the example that's set. Go back to Dan's piece at the beginning around the second and third years of setting those examples around the behaviors and the feelings they want to create. And I think within any kind of management hierarchy or kind of, you know, uh, yeah, hierarchy within an organization, it ultimately becomes the person at the top of that that process it's their job to then just kind of keep drip feeding that down i think but it but rather than trying to make that a linear process if you can make that a circle so it again comes back to then player feedback if they can hold you accountable to your behaviors do you know what i mean you want rather than that being a, a straight line of okay it's it's the top level and then down and down and down let's just let's try and create a circle from that so everyone is feeding into everyone else but yeah, I, I think you're right in maybe we've gone about it the wrong way and players are probably really bored now of the classic pre-season, yeah, we're going to do culture and behaviour chat. I think we've got to be way more creative in finding better ways to do that in, and not, and I, may, I think maybe be even more more subtle about it. I don't think it needs to be as explicit as it is. I think recognising where your culture is currently and that's going to change in a university environment we know that's going to change you may have a really task orientated group that aren't particularly great as a team so maybe you need to do some stuff that supports them understanding each other better it might be the other way around but when that new group of players comes in and you see the the classic from a performance perspective you know you get promoted with a group of third years and then they all leave and suddenly you've got a really young, inexperienced squad that are trying to survive in the league above and, and are getting absolutely smashed. And suddenly all those things have an impact and, and the personalities within that are going to have a huge impact. So I think it's something that is always going to be evolving. But I think going back to Dan's point, you've got to have something at the core of that. Like it can't be wishy-washy. There's got to be clarity on Cardiff Met. Newcastle, Nottingham, Oxford, wherever, that will exist for another thousand years or whatever. There's going to be a core at the, at the middle of that that is what that club is about, what that organisation is about. But then you can branch off and, and be quite flexible, I think, within whilst we're keeping that core, understanding actually the, 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 the dynamic of the coaches and the individuals you've got within that. Yeah, completely agree. And I think... Um... I think the bit that kind of struck a chord to me there is, and the bit that we often miss, is the kind of recognising where we currently are and recognising how we move forward. And then I think that comes to, back towards us, doesn't it? When we can use our skills uh, as kind of ways to lever and change and, and move step by step or move forward. And then, like you said, you might seek a little bit more feedback and you, and you change and you shift and you move forward again. Uh, but yeah, we've got to have kind of a connected message or something that draws us all together in the first instance. But then I also think we've just got to have a way of kind of measuring that growth and that development when we're doing it uh, and whatever that system might be that works for you. But just a way of checking we're moving forward uh, and that we're not necessarily moving forward towards straight towards our end goal and we've achieved it, but we're moving forward a step at a time and we're slowly evaluating it and, and sort of checking it before we move forward every time. This is a, a, an open question, but again, to, 
Will, to your first thought, is there anything that you sort of, from reading that, looked at and reflected on a thought, or a, a way of actually measuring it? So, again, it could be, I don't know, it, it, it has to refer to something, doesn't it? So maybe it's the principles of what you're going to play, how you're going to play the game of rugby. Does then your yeah. environment, does your culture, is, are you measuring something that's relevant to the principles and the culture and, and the environment? You see what I mean? I, I, that's an open question to everybody. Is there, is there anything you've specifically thought of of a way of measuring it? No, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I think sort of going back to something I sort of suggested earlier on is particularly at this level or that elite level, um, they're all, all the coaches are, are very different characteristics. So Phil Jackson brings his characteristics towards that team, doesn't he? And I think at that level, that would be the way it would work. So it is based around potentially the coaches' characteristics, choices, values. I think at our level, I think the, the take home for me would be, like we sort of mentioned early on, we've got to recognise where we are and recognise where that student group is and then hopefully get information from the student group. That would be probably my way of going about it. Measuring it, I don't feel like I've got an answer for yet. Um, but since reading the book, it's something I've kind of toyed around in my head that we potentially just need a different approach or I need a different approach to it uh, and a way of kind of checking that we're seeing improvement or seeing growth. Um, that's the hardest bit for me because I think if I asked you at the start of the season, at the end of the season, have you seen a change or have we achieved or have we been successful in delivering those values or those core beliefs? Sometimes I think they get lost throughout the season. Uh, height of the season when we're stuck in January, February and we, we just want to get home because <laughs> it's cold, wet and we've, we've got game after game after game, I think it gets a little bit lost. So a way of keeping it present would be something uh, I would try and, try and look for in the future, I guess. I think there's a point in there about why we would measure. And I think ultimately a measurement gives us a place to then have a conversation from. We know, you know, it's not, it's not data. It's going to be hugely subjective. My thought would be you build it into a player's IDP. So if you're talking to them about their skill set and about, you know, how they're developing and everything else, if, if you've got your three behaviours or, your, you know, your three pieces of um, core, the alignment, whatever you want to call it, actually, my question might be, you know, how well are you currently aligned to those? How, how effectively do you live those behaviours on a daily or weekly basis? And, and just trying to tee up some good questions that are actually going to elicit a response from a player when they go, yeah, I, I think I am. Great. Okay. How can we make those better? Or actually, no, the, the honesty bit I'm, I'm struggling with. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think just, just having something that says, whether it's a score, whether it's a rag rating, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a million ways you, you can get that feedback. But ultimately, I think you just want that touch point with the player or with your coaching staff to go, you know, yeah, are, are we in a reasonably good place? Because I think I do think a lot of it is a feel, which which you can't, it's not necessarily tangible, which I think is probably, may, or yeah, certainly why I've struggled with it in the past, that again, it's, it's a multitude of perceptions. And if people aren't comfortable sharing their perception of where they think that culture is, it's probably not a great culture to begin with, is it? So yeah, I think that becomes a cycle, but, it, but if we're serious about it, in the same way we're serious about developing on-field skills, why would we not build it into the conversations we have with the players? And, and maybe we do, but it's just not explicit. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a really interesting one. I think, um, you know, we, we, 
use the term measure and um, it's interesting what we, we think of by the use of that word. For me, it would be having multiple methods of collecting that feedback. So I think it's, it's having a range of different types of data that you collect to inform it in the best way. So, you know, um, having a questionnaire where they rank it out, you know, or, or actually speaking to people is really important. But then it's the number of times that you collect the feedback and how you act on it. So um, from my perspective, I think after the first couple of years of, of doing things, what we used to do was we were doing something at the end of the season and collecting loads of data uh, from the students. And we're, it's brilliant. It's really, really good. Look at all this feedback. You know, there's some really good stuff in there. There's some stuff that we... And then all of a sudden, I presented this to somebody and they were like, why are you collecting it at the end of the season? You know, so we've measured them and we've measured them at the end of the season when it's actually too late to actually impact on that. So it's, for me, it's when you're designing your measures, designing how you want to assess it, it's making sure that there are regular touch points uh, that you're creating. There's the different forms of methods and it's then evidencing how you're acting on that feedback is really, really important. There's nothing worse for players than collecting or coaches or people in your environment is collecting feedback, collecting information off people and then not doing anything with it. I think if anything, that actually can really demotivate people because they're like, oh, you, you, you wanted us to give you feedback and you're, you're not doing anything with it. So that would be only my stuff on it. Yeah, nailed that. I, 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 yeah, I couldn't agree more, Dan. Really positive, really positive. Guys, uh, I'm slightly conscious of time, um, but I think we've covered some awesome stuff there. So we'll just do a quick, uh, quick roundup on what your suggestions are for future content that people might like to engage with. Um, so, Daz, we'll come to you first. Um, what, uh, what did you pick up that other people might, uh, might fancy a look at? Yeah, there's some... Um, it's... It's on a psychology front. It's the Danny Abrahams. I think actually someone's mentioned it on your podcast before. It was. It's really good. It's something I probably didn't look at before. Having a bit more time to look at it. Um, it really good. It's really good. It gets you thinking. Again, it's a podcast, so it's easy to do. Um, there's actually something just come out this week as well. Going away from that, it's a Nicholas and Elka document uh, film on Netflix. So again, it's it's really good because he's he's quite a unique character. And he talks about his experience within football. Obviously, he's played for a lot of high-profile teams, but a lot of the big managers talk about how he didn't um, didn't sort of reach his potential. It's, it's a really good story, so that's that's worth. So I'd say them two uh, bits of content are definitely something moving forward. Great stuff, thank you, uh, Dan. What are you saying? Uh, again, two bits from me. Uh, one, uh, it might have already been mentioned, but I've loved the test on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's about Justin Langer and the Aussie cricket team and it all talks about how after the cheating incident he's reframed the culture of the Aussie cricketers uh, and I think that's a really good watch even if you don't like cricket uh, it's, a, it's a really good watch and the other one uh, I'm, I'm, I really struggle with giving people feedback and you know having honest conversations with people and trying to drive those sorts of things so I really enjoy Radical Candor by Kim Scott and it's just all about how if you if you don't have these conversations and how you can create those, you're actually doing people a disservice by not not giving those sorts of honest conversations with people. Awesome. That radical candor is that a book or a podcast or it could be both. So it's a book, but there's podcasts, there's YouTube stuff on it. I, I can again I'll I'll forward you the links. Beautiful. Great stuff. Thank you. And Will, what about you? Um 
over at uh, Inspiring Coaching. Um, I think in about five days' time, they've got a, a webinar with Brian Ashton. Um, not entirely. I think the sort of title is The Never-Ending Journey of Becoming a Coach. So uh, I'd be interested, interested to hear his perspective, that's for sure. Great stuff. Love that. Only one from me, and I'd, I'd be interested if you guys have a, uh, listened to it. So it's called 13 Minutes to the Moon. So originally it was celebrating the anniversary of Apollo 11 uh, and landing on the moon, and they they basically went through the last 13 minutes of, of that um, journey and just how much information and things NASA were processing. They've done season two, which is Apollo 13. And if if anything, I definitely recommend you listen to both. But the, the second one, just about how you deal with failure how you deal with issues, how you have processes, um, how you overcome that. It, it, is, it, it can be applied to anything, but it is an absolutely phenomenal listen um, around how, yeah, they, they basically just used a process and a science to, to kind of overcome every single obstacle they faced uh, and brought Apollo 13 home. Um, and it's actually on uh, Apollo 13, the movie is on Sky on Sunday. So I've timed it quite nicely that I've, I've listened to that and then I can uh, sit and watch the film. So yeah, but it's, it's been uh, pretty awesome just to understand some of the stuff they go through. Great stuff. Guys, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to round up the roundup. So we hope you found it useful. Thank you to my three guests for their excellent insights. Links to all the content discussed will be shared in the podcast blurb. Please subscribe, like and share. And as we ride off into the sunset, I'd like to wish you all the best. Stay safe and go well. Just a quick note to say this is the end of season one. I can't explain how much I've enjoyed the 17 weeks so far. It really has been a brilliant and enlightening experience. I really would like to thank all of the guests who've been on, uh, firstly for giving up their time, but also for their excellent insight and openness. Secondly, I'd love to thank you as the listeners for continuing to engage and support the conversations. I'm always keen to listen to feedback, so if you have any thoughts or suggestions on the setup, content or guests that you'd like to see come on, please do get in touch and let me know. Season 2 will begin on Sunday the 6th of September and trust me, we have some absolute rockstar names lined up. Enjoy the rest of your summer holiday and look forward to getting back to things in a couple of weeks.